And we are live with our 72nd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we are back. I know we've been on and off for the last few weeks. Uh, but Ken and I were in Amsterdam last week, had a great experience teaching our excellent adventures in secure code review at Global AppSec Amsterdam. <laughs> I still can't get the name right of that conference, but <clears throat> whatever. From OWASP, uh, it was a great venue, uh, a lot of good talks. We found some really cool things and applications. And how yeah, was it? Uh, yeah, it, it was just a good, good, good overall good experience. Um, outside of that, uh, we're, I mean, today is going to be our consulting horror stories episode, I guess is what we're calling it, um, where both of us been in consulting and dealt with people for a long time. But we do have a couple more courses scheduled for this year. Um, first of all is AppSec Day in Melbourne. That's at the end of, well, I guess, end of October, beginning of November. So that's like in three or four weeks. And then Black Hat Europe in London, the beginning of December. Uh, if you're interested in joining us at either of those conferences, please, please do. Uh, there are still some seats available, so we'd love to see you and we'd love to talk code review, right? Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if there's really anything else. Ken, do you have anything else on your agenda? Nope, just thought it was really, uh, to echo what you said, I thought it was really cool. Um, we did, we usually do a two-day course. This time we did a three-day course and like, I know I was super nervous about it, um, just, you know, because you're adding an, an added day and we wanted to make sure, you know, we, we used it wisely. And, and uh, it was just, it was just interesting because I feel like the course went just even better than normal, which it already does, you know, pretty well based off the feedback that we get. And like you said, what was interesting is that third day it was all of everybody doing basically an assessment, a real assessment partnered up and they found some real, real cool things in open source projects. You know, we of course encouraged them to submit to those projects, but uh, yeah, I just thought that was really, that was a really fun one. I, I'm exhausted from it. Like, as you know, I got a little bit of food poisoning like the after the first night of training. <laughs> so then- yeah. Yeah. So then it was, uh, I was super sick the second day and, um, but the students made it so enjoyable and the, the whole thing was so enjoyable that it actually like was fine. And then, you know, the rest of the week was great as I recovered <laughs> from that, but it was, it was really cool. And, um, the Netherlands and Belgium and, um, you went to your, uh, your wife went with her sister to Germany and it was just, it was cool that yep. everybody traveled and stuff. So. It was really fun. Um, I think it was a well-ran conference. It was a good venue. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. I, I had a good time. Definitely exhausted. I, as anybody who's been watching this uh, podcast knows, uh, we've been traveling a lot. Um, and so that's definitely, I think those time zone jumps for you and I constantly are starting to catch up. But, uh, you know, we have a couple more courses for, for the end of the year. Uh, yeah, those, those, are, those will be just as bad too, right? Those times. <laughs> so we'll have for to, sure. Yeah. We'll, see, we'll see how it goes, right? Um, mm -hmm. Otherwise, in the world of uh, AppSec and, you know, 
like I, I, we didn't really have an AppSec minute that we called out for this uh, for this episode. I know I've been watching Twitter, all the stuff that's going on about uh, Warp, right, or the Warp Plus. Have you seen Have you seen any of that, Ken? I have no idea what you're talking about. Nope. Oh, here, let me find let me find one of them. I put in Warp Plus and, and it said Cloudflare, so player related. It is. It's Cloudflare related. So uh, they've got their 1.1.1.1 app, right? That does the secure DNS. Um, they've released a VPN like. I need to be careful about how I talk about it. Um, <laughs> app that actually uh, uses WireGuard to connect to Cloudflare before going out to the internet. So, you know, protects some of your traffic as you're going to and from at the sites that they have. I mean, it. it realistically it can help you get to sites that are hosted at Cloudflare because it'll be a faster uh, lookup going over WireGuard and that WireGuard protocol than it would be if you were running over say a, you know, coffee shop Wi-Fi or something like that. Um, but on Twitter, there's been a, a lot of outrage about how, how it's not a real VPN product, right? Because it's not protecting all of your traffic and people can still see, you know, because of WireGuard, they, they can still see your your IP address that you're coming from, and uh, like so. I, I don't know. Like I, I'm having a hard time really uh, agreeing with a lot of what's going on because it feels like, hey, here's okay, here's Cloudflare on one end that's giving away this basically more secure way to access sites and to protect your private information as it's flowing back and forth, and InfoSec. Uh, <laughs> as is usual, comes up with a reason why, oh, it's the worst, right? <laughs> Rather than admitting, okay, it's probably a better solution than no VPN or not using it in certain situations. Um, I mean, I know the initial, I'll have to find the initial Twitter stream and we'll, we'll pop it up there. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm reading through it now. Oh, you are? You didn't find it? You know what? On a super side note to this, but definitely related, I was actually just complaining yesterday to uh, to our friend Mike uh, about, like, I don't know, just, I, I guess what I, what, I, what I came down to is, like, I'm like, I don't know. I sometimes have to just not pay attention to Twitter because it just gets to be so eye-rolly that it may yeah. be, like, a physical danger to myself. So... Um, <laughs> That's probably why, like after being tired from, you know, travel and I've just stayed away from really Twitter this for the most part, like occasionally I go in there and you, know, you see something you retweet, but you know, reading through this, it does look like the last, cause you know, I'm, I did a search and it did it from like the, the newest to the last. And like, so a lot of the newer tweets are basically saying that this drama is stupid. Here's why, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, which is pretty much what, expected but, but i'm not to you know not to say i don't know much about it so you know i'm who knows maybe maybe it's a big deal i don't know but i, I have a hard time believing that it is especially knowing that uh you know evan johnson he's been on the show twice now once recently you yeah. know he, he will run you know he, he, he runs security over there um yeah i have a hard time believing that uh he would ever and that team would ever you know knowing knowingly do something insecure um yeah sorry i'm just trying to read and talk it's never good no i mean an initial the initial tweet from not dan is probably 
I don't know. It's interesting because it just basically says we're not a VPN, which is which is completely valid the way that they've implemented WireGuard. It's not like they're trying to hide it. Um, and it's just the way that Apple actually handles or Apple and Google handle profiles for DNS that actually makes it install a VPN profile to change DNS, right? You can't manipulate it in any other way. So, oh, so they're like, oh, this is supposed to be a VPN, but it doesn't work like a VPN outrage. Is that what it sounds like? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, and sure, and right. it's kind of funny because a couple of those guys from AppSec, uh, AppSec Day, like SparkleOps or whoever, whatever his name is, actually came in and said, oh, I thought this was why. Um, I mean, normal users probably aren't going to understand that. I, I don't necessarily feel like Warp was targeted at like your quote unquote normal users, though. Right. Um, I don't know. I, mean, I could be wrong. So, yeah, hot takes are hot, right? Like they don't, we, we don't put a lot of thought into it. And, you know, could, could we, we always caveat with could be wrong, probably am, whatever. You know, but think for yourself. <laughs> but, you know, that's our kind of take on it as people that, I don't know, are, have been doing this well. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, it's probably nothing. It's probably the gist of it. Just more. So, Twitter so it's noise. nothing. Yeah. So I should have shouldn't have brought it up. I don't know. It was just the, no, the latest thing that I. No, no, it's good. It's good that people know what's going on. And actually, like I said, I didn't even know. I, I think actually, now that you mention it, mention it, might have seen some rumblings in a in a Slack chat you and I are on, but uh, I don't think I understood what it, the context and was kind of been trying to catch up on work and life since I got back. So it's yeah. been uh, good. Cool. Um, other than that, like I haven't seen a lot. I, again, we've been traveling, so there's not a lot that's, you know, been, that's popped up that I've been monitoring that closely. Um, I will be at St. Con in a few weeks as well before we go to um, Melbourne, right? So I've got like a workshop that I'm running there. We're going to be talking about secure APIs. Um, here, I'll we can post that link. Oh, it's a long drive for you from yeah. your town to the same town. It's not. <laughs> no, it, it's in Utah. Yes, you're right. <laughs> uh, that's cool. That's awesome. Very nice. Yeah. I need to make it out there. I say that every year. I say that every, every, I don't even just say it every year now. I'm just saying like every month, like, oh, I should really make it out your way. Sometime, someday. Sometime, someday. Uh, cool. Meanwhile, you've been oh. out my way like a dozen times at this point. So mm -hmm. it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's, yep, you're right. <laughs> Sweet. Well, let's talk uh, consulting horror stories then. Where do you want to start here, Ken? Well, I should probably give everybody a frame of reference. So, because okay, so let's let's start with how this all evolved and what the point is of today's episode. So, for one, last week when we gave our course, you know, we we always tell people the same kind of. We get to this section where we, in the very beginning, where we kind of dispel different notions of what what is code review, what we're going to cover. Uh, how things are currently done. And we were talking about like how, you know, we always talk about this, how depressing it is that 
we're doing in some shops, in some shops, the same stuff that we did a decade, a decade or more ago, which is purchase a scanner, um, have a thousand, 2000 apps in a year that all have to be scanned. And that's what you do. There's nothing else that you do. You just like get the code, you scan it, read out false positives, try and get through as much as you can go to the next one. And that's your sprint. And, uh, it's basically the worst thing you could possibly do other than just do nothing, which all, although maybe doing nothing would possibly be, be better and, and not have at least not a negative opinion of you from the development team. But anyways, that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into that. We can have an expanded discussion on that if you'd like, but the general gist is we're seeing shops still do that. And we said, Hey, if you, even, <clears throat> even if like we, we'd put out the offer just to, to hop on for free, like a 30 minute call, just to, to say why that's not a good with like people's managers or management, like why that's not smart. And here's the, the, the right way, at least the right methodology and approach. As we were talking about that, we came, we kind of like, you know, again, this is the whole thing is like our excellent adventure. So we talk about some of the not so excellent adventures, the, the, the things that we've come across. Um, and naturally like the, the consulting horror stories that come out of that, but the lessons that are learned, which now that's tying into like what the frame of frame, framing this conversation, which is yes, hopefully it's amusing. Hopefully, you know, we can, people can say probably I went through that too, but also like it gives some, some things to like take some things to take away that are hopefully positive and some lessons learned. So I guess that's like a very long spiel, but that's kind of the point and how it all came about to do this yeah. episode. Yeah. So um, like maybe let's dive into the, the actual like story that you're talking through right there. Right. Um, this was the, this was one of the first clients that Ken and I were, or no, it was the first client that you and I were on. Um. So this was you know, way back in the you know early you know, fishnet days, right? Like, I guess they're not really around anymore, so it doesn't matter that much. Um, <laughs> statute of limitations is up. Uh, Don't come we after me, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> Don't call him out too much. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, it wasn't so, Gary. No, it wasn't. Not at all. So basically, it was just a large, large organization had had hundreds, if not thousands, of applications that needed to be reviewed, and they had went out and bought a, you know, they had they had bought into the uh, static analysis Kool Aid, basically, right? And had decided that if that that was the way to actually take care of it and to check the compliance box that all that we were going to do is scan code, but they didn't have people on site that actually knew anything about secure coding or, you know, could answer any of the questions, whether or not the, the findings were false positives. So they hired us as a consulting firm to come in and that's all that we did for, you know, basically, you know, eight, eight hours a day was review revolts results from a static analysis tool. And then, reduce the false positives and generate a report. And we couldn't even include the report that came out of the static analysis tool. Had to, I remember copy and pasting like uh, file paths and line numbers uh, from the tool into Word basically to ship off to the different development teams to get things fixed. 
Um, and I mean, that's, that, that's kind of, own, that was the start of the whole project, but there was other things that went on with it, right? Uh, like, you know, so to kick off the project, we went on site. You remember that, Ken? Yeah, I do. We sat in a hotel, like, so the thing was with the, you know, the, the good thing about Fishnet was that they had a policy that you would have to, that, that, that if people wanted you on site for multiple weeks, they would pay, have to pay to fly you home on the weekends and fly you back during the weekdays. Right now, because of that, though, you're not really, you're not really, it's not like you're getting five full work days, right? You're getting four and a half, maybe. And also maybe four. And you're also like, yeah, it's probably like more, more like four, but it's probably, probably really more like three of actual work just because of, you know, being tired and getting everybody set up. And of course, when you're in one location, you got to do lunch together, breakfast together, dinner, it turns into like a little bit of socializing. So we're there for two weeks. We have, they even have to fly us home on the weekends and we have to sit in a hotel, like in a hotel conference room. That's about the size of, it's actually smaller than my office, I think, and <laughs> yeah. my home office. And, uh, we were supposed to be on site to like talk with their team, talk with their crew and not to like, we were in the Midwest, so there wasn't, it wasn't like it was the worst place, but it like, there's not like there was a whole lot to do there. So we're just all together, just sitting there. And we never once actually went into the office, like not once. And on top of that, we had, you know, a PM that we were dealing with who was, that's a whole other funny story. I mean, <laughs> stories, plural, but like, it, it was just funny. They flew us there. They spent all this money. We were supposed to meet with their crew. That was the point. And instead we sat in a hotel a couple miles from their office, never, not, not once went into the office. And we just sat there unable to ask questions, unable to talk to anybody, unable to do anything with the weirdest project manager I to this day have ever met. Uh, just, kind of like what, what the hell? And most of us had just started for that specific contract. So this is like our introduction to, con, you know, consulting at Fishnet. Consulting, yeah. And to be clear, it wasn't like Fishnet's fault. Um, it was just that the client was insane. <laughs> Effectively, they were just insane people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't really know that like if it was like a security thing where they couldn't get us cleared, but it was just insane. So yeah. Um, but shout out to the uh, whatever Best Western or whatever it was we stayed in. <laughs> they did a good job. Their continental breakfast. I don't know. <laughs> Silver lining. I, I don't know. Yeah. It was just insane. Yeah. And also, I think the other thing too was that we we had code with. I remember this specifically. We got code and there was like no context at all around the code. And I remember just like sitting there scanning this code, unable to talk to anybody. We're just shooting in the dark. And we're like, I don't know. Was, I've never even seen this language or framework. Like, and I don't know what this thing's for, but okay, we'll like try and sort through it and figure it out. And it was just, it was just bananas. Just, yeah. I, it was, well, and that was part of the problem. Like the static analysis tool only scanned code if it could compile it. So I, I remember fighting with it all the time, trying to get, number one, access to developers to actually be able to compile the code so we understand what, what all the dependencies were so it could understand what was going on. And then, you know, number two, actually reviewing the results and everything else that go along with that. Um, but a lot of that, like we spent a lot of time just, 
you know, spinning our wheels. And, and I kind of feel like this happens more and more with large organizations that have been around for a long time, is that they're so compartmentalized between, you know, different security functions plus different development functions and project management and compliance that, uh, you know, you, the, the teams themselves don't talk, right? It's just like the compliance team is, you know, says, oh, oh, this has to be, this has to go through, you know, code review or you know, whatever, like this has the security function, we need a checkbox. So we're going to kick it over to security, but the developers don't know that it's going on. And then they bring in consultants to actually scan it, but the developers still don't know what's going on. So they get a, you know, contact from some random email. So it's just this whole kind of, yeah, those are my favorite surprise findings for assessment you didn't know you were having. Oh my God, this is the weirdest thing ever when they set you up like that. You're like, okay, we're gonna talk through our findings. They're like, oh, hold on, what's this meeting about? We had an assessment, what's now? What's that include? Like, huh? I mean, holy crap, it's, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's that whole like bureaucracy of large organizations that you deal with and that's just, I mean, honestly, shout out to those who are dealing with that because, you know, that's a pain. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to keep these big companies somewhat secure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's definitely a problem to manage. I, you know, the, they're getting better at it, having built out like AppSec and product, ProdSec teams uh, to actually manage how that's happening. But I still walk into organizations where it's, it, it feels very similar. Right. I've got other problems with, um, you know, I've got other horror stories where I've been sent on site for a client um, and then show up. And the day I show up, the team that I'm supposed to meet is all at a conference for the week. Right. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, but they had to have me there a specific day, walk in and I'm like, oh, all right. Well, I guess I'm gonna sit here and like email people and you know give them a list of things that I need for next week <laughs> while I I drink their coffee, right? I mean that's basically what it boils down to. So, so what's the lesson learned here? How do we like with this one? How do we? How how would you prevent that? Like, would it just be better communication between? Well, first of all, not hiring an insane project manager like. I guess that would be the number one. Like, I, I don't like this person at all. They're just crazy. Um, to this day, we still laugh about how terrible they were and just crazy. But that aside, uh, I guess communication, both on the consulting side with your contact and asking them if they've talked to, you know, whoever and, and before going on site have cleared that, you know, physically we have spaces, we have space to be there on site. We have, you know, approval uh we have just all the little directions that's a that's a super important thing nobody ever talks about is when you're consulting you have to go on site give us a heads up of like where's the best place to stay you know where's the uh what, where, what parking lot to go into directions who you're going to talk to phone numbers backup phone numbers of your contacts you know those types of that type of information that's something that um you really should have communicated in advance so that there's no real there's no real questions when you get on site, like you can just go. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's part of like the consulting bullet list and prepping for going on site is, Hey, let's see what's going on. Um, and, but you're still going to run into problems where there's 
there's organizations that are like, oh, we need you next week, even though they're not prepped for it, right? Because they've got some audit or whatever they're trying to get through. And, th and that's typically where those problems pop up. So you walk in and you're like, hey, you know, I'm here to meet with this team. And they're like, oh, well, you can meet with this other team because that team's gone. So, <clears throat> yeah. And so it, it is a communications issue, but it's also asking the right questions as a consultant as far as are you really ready for me to come on site, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And Which then, usually... yeah. Well, uh, yeah. No, I'm kidding. It's usually fine, but you do have these odd cases where, it, you know, you get, you, yeah, things just get super crazy and super weird. Um, pivoting into another story, I've got a, I've got one that uh, happened to me. Well, actually this one was that not, not to like pick on fishing. I just happened to have a lot of different clients there and, and was, if it was weird and hard and an edge casey thing to do, usually, you know, it was Seth, Dave Ferguson, myself that were sent there. So in this case we had sold or no, I'm sorry. I actually, to this day, don't know who sold. I want to say it was either ounce or AppScan source, but it might have been still ounce. I, I don't really remember. Uh, they had sold them this, somebody had sold them this uh, product and we were there to, it was probably AppScan source now that I think about it. And because our role was actually just to help support people in how to use the scanner. You and I had gone to, down to Dallas um, to do that, yeah. which is funny, by the way, because totally, I don't, I shouldn't get on global AppSec DC when we were there a couple weeks ago. Um, we actually were at dinner and been hanging out for the, with this guy for a while. And then it took me a couple hours and I was like, you know, your face is so familiar. And then uh, I figured it out while we were sitting there. Uh, he was actually our trainer at that Dallas course to teach us how to use, you know, ounce slash app scan source uh, correctly. So that was just kind of funny all these years later. Anyway, so <clears throat> yeah, so somebody sold them that and we were supposed to go there to help them just like learn how to actually properly scan. So what had happened though, what that was the that was what I was told. When I got on site, let's start with where I was. I don't even know where I was. I was like between I was I was a weird like rinky dink town in the middle of nowhere uh between New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I don't even know. Like I honestly to this day don't even know what side of the state line I was on. That's how like close it was. Um, and it was just, it was the weirdest place. So that's to start, uh, just getting there was interesting. I drove there and, uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. Um, just getting there. Now, once I get, get there, it's turns out it's like some hidden call center slash also has devs, AT&T or one of these companies i can't remember it's like their building and the building itself like i said trying to even get to that building and figure out where it's at and even getting inside like we didn't have the best of details on that but i made it inside fine cool and the first you know i sit down here's what i'm here to do i'm here to like teach you how to their security guy uh or their security person just happened to be a guy um you know here's here's i'm gonna teach you how to use this scanner correctly right well He's like, what? Oh, wait, what? No, that's not what you're here for. And I said, well, what do you think I'm here for? And supposedly, you know, so I don't know where, where this happened, but I was supposed to figure out how to install the server and the clients on all the dev boxes. I had to then teach all the developers how to use this as well as advise the security contact 
on the best practices for implementing this product into his SDLC. And I had about three full days to do all that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's easy, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, maybe four, I don't know. But <clears throat> so I think the first full day I spent all day on a phone call with IBM or whoever it was, just trying to figure out how to get this license installed. Like, so I wasted, yeah. I burned a whole day just figuring out the licensing process. Because once again, the most I had was like a two day training or whatever it was in Dallas to, to figure out how to run the scanner. Now I'm like installing it on, and by the way, I'm selling it on Linux uh, servers and I'm trying to make it like not crap out because the hardware wasn't good enough. And, you know, like it's all these things and trying to get the server, just the license installed so I can even start the server. Then I have to go get the client installed on all the boxes. And it was just a horror. It was a shit show. It was just dead. I mean, I got it done, but like only because, you know, of luck and uh, I don't know, whatever. Like it, it, I got it done. But of course the other, but I didn't teach him how to use a scanner. I didn't teach his devs how to use the scanner. I got it to run on like one of their apps. And I was like, all right, good luck. Gotta go, you know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it was just like, I could go on and on, but it was just one of those situations where, and this happens, I feel like a lot with consulting where you're just, you kind of have to just be flexible because you get put in these situations where there is a terrible miscommunication between the expectations of the client and, you know, what was sold. And I know part of that is because some, uh, there are a lot of good salespeople. I am by no means talking crap about security salespeople, but there are definitely people that also just want to get the sell. That is for sure. And they will just promise anything and they don't communicate yep. that to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I felt again, that was part of being involved with a larger consulting firm, right? Was the, the communication, like you had the salespeople that understood, right? Like application security. Uh, but realistically, that was probably only about 10 to 15% of the full sales organization. And so anybody else would get into one of those clients. And it sounds like that's this, this situation that happened here is they got into the client and the client said something about Ants Labs. And they basically looked up in their, in, in our, or the Fishnet's internal, you know, database and said, oh, we know Ants. We, we can do whatever you want with that, right? And then just wrote up some generic sow about how you were going to train them how to use it rather than, oh, I'm going to go outside and install and it came back really cheap because it was like, oh, it was just take three days because on our side, the application security team was like, oh, you just need us to teach? Yeah, that only takes a couple of days, right? So like the, the whole miscommunication, you understand how it happens, but I feel like a lot of the horror stories, especially that we're talking about, that they come from that, that miscommunication, you know, whether it's between the consultant and, you know, sales or sales and the customer, the consultant and the customer, it just... Uh, like expectations are not level set before, you know, work is actually performed or, or done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's lots of other stories that I could tell that are probably similar. I mean, I, you know, we, we could always, there, man, I have a few on like training, like training people. You and I were talking about this where, Oh, it's just kill me. Like when you and I give training, we're very specific on the skill set that you need. So like, for instance, when we get to our secure code training, we know all the expectations we put out there. So when we say, Hey, we're not going to cover the OWASP top 10 or not, or we're not teaching you about the OWASP top 10. We're not teaching you about like how to like recode or, you know, 
yeah, read and write code. That's not the point. These are prerequisites that you need to come into the class with. We're teaching you a methodology and how to refine what you already uh, kind of know, but like we're, you know, here's the baseline expectations. Now we still did that though, as a company for multiple clients. And I know this because one of those companies you and I were, you and I were partners in. And so like we knew that we had communicated all this and we knew specifically that we had told them, do not put anybody who doesn't have this skill set in here. Now, fast forward two, three years in a row, each time go on site, each time tell them the same thing. Don't put these people in the class, especially after the last time we told you not to do it and you still did it. Here's, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna train. So we're going to do a secure code class. Here's what we get. And this is not an ageist thing. Please do not get on my ass about this Twitter. But we had some people that were older and less flexible and did not know shit about computers. They were QA. And when you say QA, we're not talking about cool QA, like coding up automated unit tests and, and using Selenium and all this stuff. No, we're talking about people that literally go through an Excel spreadsheet checklist, one row by the next, click this, click that, click this. This is who we're supposed to teach. Do you know how it was to even get them to figure out? I, I think I spent three hours trying to explain what burp is over and over again. I mean, what a proxy is, why you would use it, how to just open it up and run it. I mean, for fuck's sake, why would you put these people in the class year after year after year? But this is what happened, you know? So this is the, these are the cards you get dealt. You go there, you have this plan. When you give training, by the way, it's a very like, it, for anyone who's a, a seasoned trainer, you know that you have your very specific agenda uh, for very specific reasons in very specific orders and, in order and uh, different time lengths. And those have to be pretty exact. Like you, you need to get, you don't want to rush certain things and slow down on other things. You want the cadence to be just right. So when you throw, uh, yeah, when you throw uh, uh, just anybody in a course like that, then um, it's really, really frustrating for those of us who, because it just totally it, it derails the whole training, right? And then you're supposed to answer questions where people start, because that's the other end. You've got people that actually know what they're doing. Now they're eye rolling and they're like, why am I in this class? having to learn this or hear about this basic stuff and just it's dragging on and you know you lose them they start doing the armful posture thing you know or they're just like uh, you can tell they're getting grumpy it's just it's just exhausting so yeah when when a consultant tells you here's my target audience you'd better listen to them or you're going you're the problem of if the training doesn't go well you're a hundred percent the problem so yeah Lesson learned, listen to your trainers on prerequisites and who you should be sending to training. Yeah. And sorry if I got a little, I know I see the whole like, uh, like oh, this one's going to be explicit. Well, this one gets me heated because I, I've, I've had to deal with it so many times and it just pisses me off to no, to no end when people don't listen to those recommendations. So, yeah. Well, and I, I, like, I, I, I always got that. I, I mean, you know, I think we've both had you know, basically add administrative assistance for the security team and training or, you know, project managers that have never touched a, a you know, line of code in their life. And yet they're at, you know, secure coding 101 training or whatever it is, right. It's, it's very difficult to actually get them to do any exercises when they don't understand what a variable is, right. Or what a parameter is. It's just that whole base level of knowledge that you need when someone walks into that course. Um, yeah. yeah. And they're like, well, oh, but you know, the, 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 at least 
just get something like so they get some basic knowledge of security. Uh, so even though I haven't listened to anything you said, I have a good reason. No, your reason shit. Don't send them to the course yeah. and screw us all up, and throw off our cadence, and and make it a worse experience for everybody else. Stop, stop listening to the good idea fairy, and you know listen to us. So, anyways, enough of that yeah. tangent about or, who or, and who. Or at least ask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, it's I a communication off. issue, right? Again, yeah. But no, no, you did it. Like it definitely is a. I mean, it's a problem. It, it just. Yeah. I mean, we, we've both taught enough courses that it, it, it just continually seems to happen, especially when you introduce it as you're like, hey, this is a, like our beginner level secure coding course. We're going to go through the OWASP top 10. And then I get complaints or I get like an old COBOL guy in there that complains that, hey, all we talked about was web application security. And I'm like, yeah, but we talked about input validation. But I'm like, okay, I understand that all your coders need secure code training. But you know, like there isn't, I mean, nowadays there probably is more like COBOL secure coding courses, but, you know, 15 years ago, there just, there wasn't anything available. And it was, I mean, there were grumpy COBOL guys, right? Like they're just grumpy mainframe guys because that's all that exists out there for the mainframe anymore. Yeah, I dealt with a, uh, <clears throat> I, I dealt with a client who was in uh, Chicago and it was a semi quasi government it's one of those weird things where it's like not quite all the way government but it's like a pretty much a government organization does that make any sense and yeah. uh everybody had been there since they used and i shit you not they told us this too they're like oh yeah yeah i used to work here when we used punch cards i'm like oh my god why am i here what are you <laughs> and, and again that's not me being they were just like they honestly were one guy one guy literally told me he goes, yeah, I'm about to retire like in a week. So I don't even know why. I'm, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? So then, then I shit you not at like, uh, I think it was like 1030 or 11 o'clock in the morning. They're like, yeah, you know, it's time for lunch right now. You guys are going into lunch. And I'm just, oh, it was like, uh, what's the name of those two old guys from the Muppets? That's what it felt like. I had a... <laughs> There, they were like we're all older and about to retire and they they made it known it was like there were like maybe two people that were interested and still curious and you know that was worthwhile maybe for them but for the rest of them it was just it was a it was a rough go man it was it was you know this this is this is uh something you deal with so anyways. yeah <laughs> No, I, I mean, I, I think we could go on and on with training because you always get like the odd students and I, yeah, I, I mean, you know, there's always this, the student in like, especially when you go in, into a company to train, there's always the guy in the, in the room that, that knows more than you or thinks he knows more than you. Right. Um, and there's strategies for dealing with that. But if you talk to anybody that trains on a corporate level, they, they know that person, right. You just have to pick them out in the class as far as, it's the guy that's sitting back and you're trying to get him on your team. So you're basically getting him to teach the course because he knows, he knows so much, right. You know, like you, you also have to play to that ego. Um, and to be clear, it is a him. Cause I've never had a her do that. I've, I've never had a problem with, it's always been some dude who is just mm -hmm. like egotist, like egotistical. And it's like, mm, you know, yeah, definitely, definitely that's played a, played a part you want to do you want to tell a story or do you want us to to, to throw in david uh, sorry i don't know if i'm supposed to say his name somebody's like uh 
Um, yeah. well, let's let, let's throw let's talk his his story. Um, he didn't say if we could say his name or not, did he? No, we could probably ask him quick though. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just tell the first story. Actually, there's like three really good stories that he had sent. Uh, oh yeah, the first one. I really like this one. So. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so this is a good one. So I'm going to read it verbatim. Clients okay. A hired us to do a threat model and manual code review slash dynamic assessment of this huge 7 million plus line of code Java app, a thick client, multiple web components, the works, right? Client A was looking to purchase uh, slash use this app from a third party. So this is a third party acquisition to be clear of an app, not like their app. So they were essentially paying us to verify the security of the third party app. Pretty common scenario. We did a threat model whiteboarding discussion talking about all the security controls and where they were in the code. And just as a brief like aside to this, that's actually one of the, the parts of our methodology for secure code review is to do that first, right? You wanna get to know the app first and you wanna start brainstorming risks and things you should care about. Because otherwise, you yeah, the rest is just kind of all over the place uh, if you don't have a structure. All right, back to this. We had four to five of us then on site for what was supposed to be a th uh, to be three straight weeks. After two weeks and daily meetings, client A says, but why have you not found XYZ issues? Turns out client A had had the third party plant malicious code and vulnerabilities deep in the application logic to see if we would find it to test, that is in quotes, to test how good we were. Well, we had found some of them, found other critical things that were not planted, but all they cared about was what we missed, the things that were not supposed to be there in the first place. We talked it over with our management and we left that day. Now, there's a couple salient points to this, to this whole thing. One is good on that company for saying, no, we're not going to deal with this kind of a client. It's going to be a shit show from here on out anyways. And honestly, if you're a client who starts that relationship out like that, yeah, it, I can pretty much, I think most of us can pretty much tell where, where it's going to be. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have some way to vet your contractors, but you have to understand a few points. One is if you're planting malicious code, it may not be, again, they spent with 7 million lines of code. You're not going to review every single line of code. That's why you do the whiteboarding session. That's why you do the threat modeling. And that's why you brainstorm risks because you want to figure out, I have a finite amount of time. And unless you're willing to pay for a six month contract for four people, we're not going to get to all of it. So let's figure out what is most important, focus our efforts there and take a look at that code, not every single line of your 7 million lines of code. So that's a realistic uh, security code review. So to, to then put in code that is malicious, you may not even know where you should be putting it in terms of what should be looked at because you haven't had a, bra a risk brainstorming threat modeling session with your consultants yet. So it may not be the best idea. We call that a dick move in the business. <laughs> yes, completely. <laughs> Well, okay. So ju just the, the complete hoover of the whole situation, right? So this is a product that the client is actually looking to buy. So before they go to buy this, this product, right? If we kind of go back to the story itself, before they go to buy the product, they go to the vendor and say, hey, put some malicious code in your product so that we can test out yet another third party 
and whether or not they're sharp enough to review the code that you have and you know find vulnerabilities for us, right? Like it's just like okay, instead of actually having the, you know the security team like the, or the AppSec team that's coming in review code and find actual vulnerabilities, you're placing vulnerabilities in code. But then, I mean, what happens if the vendor forgets to remove it and they leave that in there and it's 7 million lines, right? <laughs> Number two, like the whole risk model approach, like it just throws everything out the window. And it's just, again, it goes back to like the guys that are like on that team that were like instructing everything to go on are kind of, I don't know if they're the mansplainers or like that, that's what it feels like. It's like, oh, well, we're, we're the best. We're the elite team. And so everybody else needs to kowtow to us and it doesn't matter, right? It, it really doesn't matter like that, that you know what you're doing. You've been doing it for, you know, 20 years or whatever. Yeah. And, and that was the other thing, like in chatting with Dave, he did say we could use his name. Sorry. Okay. Cool. Um, cool. Yeah. And, and chatting with Dave Lintner about it, he said that like it was there, like this was a huge client. And so they had put their like top consultants on the project. Right. And we're, we're talking, they were supposed to be on site for what, three, four weeks, four or five people. So there's a huge expense involved with everything that's going on here. And I, like, it, it just feels like, you know, pissing away money. That, like, realistically, that that's what it feels like. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, setting up so many things. And also, like, you're saying put in malicious code. It's kind of what you're, I mean, there's so many, oh my God, there's so many things I could touch on. But I think one of the things that you you, you, you kind of alluded to was like specifically, you're telling someone, go ahead and put malicious code in there. So when you come back later and maybe someone finds that insider threat that was never removed, some backdoor code, they could just be like, well, you told me to put it in there. <laughs> oh, we were supposed to take it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I could, and then fall back to that excuse. So it's it's a dumb thing to do. But also, once again, like you're not. We, we we've talked about this. It, you're with seven million lines of code. You're doing a best effort. And if and if that vulnerable code, unless it's super obvious, like you know, any kind of like a, a system command, for instance, would be pretty obvious. Um, but like, if it's not that, or if it's not in a, you know, if it's not something super obvious, and if it's not something that's in the uh, parts of the application that you know we've prioritized as as being like the highest risk and, and the things we absolutely have to review, there's no guarantee that it's it, that it will be reviewed. So um, it's just it's just a bad practice. I mean, I think it's just a bad practice. It, the difference is now. Here's what I have seen people do, and uh, I thought it was a a pretty successful. Uh, well, maybe, well, kind of, it's a better approach at least, which was where I'm going to give you a very small piece of code. I think we, we, we dealt with a Silicon, a very big Silicon Valley company who did this. And they said, you know, here's like, uh, three files worth of, um, of, uh, code and, you know, you've come back in a week, tell us what you found. And you know, that's more, that's more realistic. It's kind of like, all right, based off of what you're seeing here, what are some concerns that you would have written up? I mean, that's fair, right? It's like three files. It gives you enough time to actually do a, a proper job because you're doing it for free. You know, you haven't won the work. This is just to get in the door and they could definitely do that because uh, you know, we wanted the work several other companies did too. So I think that that's probably a more realistic way to do it. And also it sets up expectations. Everybody agrees. This is the way we're going to do it. This is part of the, the process to get in the door. Cool. All right. It's fair play. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I like, I, I keep going back to 
actually what you were, I didn't even think about the insurance implications of, you know, telling someone to put malicious code into their software. Um, and then like actually having a breach occur because you've compromised your own system. Right. Even like in internal to the product itself, it's not like you just set up a honeypot for detection reasons. You've like, you've introduced vulnerabilities, right? There's a reason when we build vulnerable applications that we say, this is not to be used in production, right? There's warnings everywhere in those apps that says, you know, this is not intended to be a, a, a really used application because of what we've done in it, as opposed to, oh, here's, you know, we put a backdoor into this code and yeah, I, like just the trust issues that go along with that whole story are just crazy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we could spend a long time talking about it. Yeah, and I think Ken Toller had a salient point too. He said, next time I go to the mechanic, maybe I'll disconnect my radio and see if he notices when I go for my safety inspection. I mean, it's a, it's a similar, it's, a, it's an exact, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's like, you know, is that, it, how? what does your radio have to do with, you know, proper functioning, overall proper functioning of like safe, safe safety affecting components in your car? Nothing, yeah. not at all. So- yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's a, it's a fair point. Do you have a do you have any stories you want to talk about uh, for for you know you personally? Um, like, You're the more politically you know, correct of us too, so I'm curious <laughs> to see you get. I want to see you get like. You want to see me get worked up? Yeah, I want to see you, you get worked uh, up, man. It's always me because I. Have, <laughs> yeah. It's that redhead, the red hair the that you have, right? You the know. redhead fury. I, you know, I was trying to think about it, right? Like I, I'm a pretty even keeled guy. So it takes a lot for me to get super. Yeah, it does. Like, I, you know, I've, I've known Seth forever. I don't think I've ever seen you actually like raise your voice or ever get like anything like that. Man, you're, you're like the most, you're like a Zen dude, really. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, some of the times that I get frustrated, like, especially with, you know, with, with clients specifically, you know, I, I'm thinking back to a time that I did an assessment for, you know, a large like tech company. You know, this was back in fishnet days. And, you know, we find a few things. They give us like, you know, whatever, like your two week engagement. We deliver it. And then I get a call um, and it wasn't even it was probably like nine months later. Right. And and the, the client's like, oh, well, we had this breach and your the, the code was reviewed by fishnet you know, might've, might've attributed to it. Like, why didn't you find X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, whoa, hold on. (laughs) Hold on. Okay. (laughs) Number one, it's been nine months. Number two, I'm like, okay, it's been nine months. (laughs) I don't, I don't remember looking at your code. I'm sorry, right? (laughs) The amount of code that we look at on a like weekly basis. If I can remember what I looked at last week, I'm doing well. Um, and so I, you know, yeah, of course I I'm trying to be helpful. Most of the time like, oh, I all right. a month ago. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and it's been like, it was nine plus months. Right. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'll be helpful. Like I look at the report, I'm digging into everything. And like the, the client was basically casting about for blame, right? They were trying mm-hmm. to figure out who they could blame for the fact that they had been breached. So like I go back to, all right, I'm looking at the scope. I'm looking at the, you know, the application itself. And I realize like, you know, yeah. So basically where they had been breached, yes, it was the application that like 
you know, we had looked at, but it was a scoped, like it was actually out of scope for what they had put in the application like test that we had done for them, like explicitly said, oh, you're doing X, Y, and Z, you're not doing, you know, A, B, and C. And, and yet they still came back to us and asked, all right, you know, you guys are to blame. Why was this a problem? And let's get on a call and get and get chewed out for it, right? Gross. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that, that was a fun one. Um, the, the other was the time that I was, you know, sitting in a meeting. I know this is kind of internal, but like, um, like, you know, the org itself that we're consulting with, um, sit down in a, in a meeting after we had come up with some findings um, and, being told because that because it was a system that they didn't want tested, even though the, the the business wanted it tested, but the developers didn't, that we were not qualified to look at it because we had not been developing in you know Java for over two years, right? That only <laughs> experts would be able to find vulnerabilities and fix vulnerabilities in the code. And I'm like, wait a second, right? Just because like, okay, so I can find SQL injection because I can run a scanner and I can identify what OR1 equals one looks like, but because I don't know how to develop in this specific framework that you guys chose 15 years ago and that's been out of date for 10 years, I can't tell you that the vulnerabilities exist. And the guy got like seriously red faced and like, you know, kudos <laughs> oh, to my I manager at the time. Yeah. yeah, kudos to the manager that was there at the time or my manager, because he's like, no, this isn't how this works, right? But that's a very common, like, oh, I came in and I called your baby ugly because I found something that you're going to have to go fix. And the response is just over the top. And yeah, you, you're not allowed to do this because you're not allowed to do this is basically what it boils down to. Oh, man, the, t the amount of time that I, speaking of red faced developers, I can't tell you the amount of time. And this was really, this is really fun on, it was more fun early on in my career, like to basically be told because I go to these meetings and it would be like, Oh, like you're not, especially the first year or two of me doing AppSec was actually, I don't think I've ever talked about this, but uh, I contracted for the Pentagon for a while before I ever did it. Um, when you had interviewed and hired me for fishnet. And so I dealt with uh, a lot of uh, different um, agencies that all connected their uh, systems to the Pentagon. So you would, what I'm trying to say is I would deal with a lot of different development crews from a lot of different places. And they, they, they were like contractors of agencies and stuff like that. So money on the line, you know, if they're, if we find stuff and they, they've royally screwed up, um, not egg on their face, doesn't look good in front of their contractor. So, or uh, sorry, their clients. So like there were so many cases where, you know, we get in there and we do the kickoff briefing. We do that in person. Um, and they were just, they would just sit back, folded arms, like you were talking about saying, you know, well, you know, you're not, I don't know about like, what are you going to do? Like, are you even qualified? Like, what do you, you know, what do you know? Uh, you're probably, you know, we'll give you, sure. We'll give you access. Good luck. You know, and this is also at the time there wasn't like web security wasn't really a thing at that time with, uh, especially at the government. Like it was, it was becoming a thing outside in the, you know, the private sector, but the, 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 the public, the government side, that was like, you know, that just wasn't a thing. So <clears throat> then we'd come in, destroyed the apps, of course, right? We're talking like classic ASP apps, PHP apps, shit written in Perl. It was just a, it was just a cluster. It was Java, like old, old Java, right? 
everything was pwnable. Like nobody understood that client side controls didn't mean anything. It was perfect. It was back then it was like utopia of a web hacker, you know, dream. So you go and you destroy them and man, oh man, the amount of times I had people physically ups, like physically visibly upset at me. It, it was, and now, you know, now like I, I, obviously that's not, you know, that's, I'm younger. Like I was getting into it. It like made me, I was like, aha, you know, like, it, but now it's, it's different, right? Like, and now I'm like, oh crap, you can't act like that. You got to keep people on your side. You got to have, but at the time it was at least somewhat amusing because, you know, I was immature and it was funny to watch them get all mad. So, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's, yeah, it, I mean, it kind of, it, it, the longer that you are in consulting and you're trying to, and you're trying to build those relationships it's yeah. it, you know you don't come across quite as antagonistic right when you're yeah. you're internal to a team and you're like dude we're just trying to secure your application <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it, it becomes a harder prospect you know because you you don't you put up with it less right uh, yeah. as a consultant you're you're expected to kind of take a certain level of or a certain tone with people and internal it's just like you, you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah and to be clear, like, like it was enjoyable because they treated us like idiots. They treated us like, what are you even talking about? Nobody knew. Again, nobody knew what web security was. Like they were like, what? You know, aren't, aren't you supposed to run some NMAP, NMAP scans on our our network? You know, what are you doing? What like you know? And so it was just it was rewarding in and of itself. But then afterwards, to be fair, in a lot of those cases, um, they would come back and be like, all right, egg on my face. You proved your point. Like, how do I fix this? How do I make sure this doesn't yeah. happen? So at least there was that coming out of it, you know, positive yeah. wise. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I do think back to the days, like when I was at the bank and we were looking at third parties, right. Kind of like before, again, before web, web security was a thing. And we would ask like different partners, like different large financial services providers, for access into their applications because the contract that the bank had with these providers was that we could test, right? Period. Right. There, it, there, it didn't spe specifically call out security testing, but it said that we could test. And so we always had that in our back pocket, but finding SQL injection on like, their login pages and then just completely owning the application and taking findings to them. And then they'd be like, Whoa, wait a second. We, we never said you could do this. And we're like, you gave us credentials, <laughs> right? You gave us your tested. What did you think was going? Yeah, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> you know, and there was usually pushback there as far as just the understanding. Um, you know, when we were in, like, it, it was always entertaining, but it also, you know, at times you felt bad because you knew that that showed up on some developer's desk that had no idea it was coming down the pipe, and all of a sudden they had you know, 15 findings that were critical that they had to go fix and their boss was yelling at them. And yeah. Yeah. And I think this is pretty obvious, but as a side note, if you are going to have, if you have budget and you're bringing in a consultant, um, you, and you've got budget for training and doing an assessment, just side note, you should prioritize the assessment in front of the training because the training can be made to be tailored off of what was found in the uh, assessments. And I'm not saying that like, maybe that's the best way, but uh, especially when you like, you'll see patterns, like you'll see a lot of, maybe a lot of insecure direct object reference or like missing function level access control or whatever specific thing. If you see a lot of it, you can kind of like, you know, 
focus on it. And also the other thing as a trainer is you can give an, uh, permission from your client and present it in an empathetic way so you're not dogging on the possibly a developer's in the training in front of his peer, his or her peers. You, um, uh, you can you know show examples from the assessment in the training as well and just make it kind of hit home and be a little bit more like, oh, okay, I see why. So if, if, you're, if you're going to do that, those two together, just have the assessment done before the training. That's my little word of advice. I think Seth would probably agree with that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you want to make sure that you're not like finding vulnerabilities real time in somebody's code that's sitting in there. That's, that's not going to end up well, right? Like showing an example of something that they fixed is one thing, um, but showing an example of, you know, what's going on. I mean, that takes me back to some of the trainings that I did um, for a large financial when I was at Fishnet, right? And, you know, the typical, uh, you know, cross-site scripting, you know, example is always in the search box that you go in and pop an alert box up, right? And, and yeah. we're sitting in there and I'm like, okay, so now like go to, you know, go to the site, you know, type this in, right? That's in the exercise for them to actually see what and what cross-site scripting looks like. You have somebody raise their hand and they're like, well, how did you know that that existed? So I'm going into this explanation about how it's an, a vulnerable application that we wrote. And he's like, no, no, this is, this is on our internal, like, uh, you know, portal site that we go to that's the home browser, right? They'd just gone to the search bar in that and actually popped an XSS in their like internal, like, uh, yeah, internal portal. I was like, oh, uh, you probably want to let your developers know about that, right? So anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. Consulting's a tough gig, man. I don't think people appreciate that. And um it's even stranger now because like, you know, from a pay scale perspective, it's there's less incentive than there used to be to be a consultant. Like, in, you know, when we first started the pay, the money really was in consulting. Like you kind of worked your way up to that. And then once you got there, you know, you it was it was yeah, it was more pay. It was kind of a better schedule. You worked from home. Um typically pretty, pretty nice setup. And now you see a lot of companies letting you work from home, paying really well, even better than consulting's offering more incentive to stay, meaning you're more invested in the company, whether that's through, you know, uh, the training budget they give you or, uh, you know, summits with your team in cool locations or, you know, whatever it might be, maybe stock options or whatever it is. Like um, it's very competitive now it's very hard for consultancy to like offer something that's um, that's better than blue team. And so now, you know, imagine there's less incentive to be a consultant and you still, but you still have to deal with all the headaches, at least back when you were dealing with all the headaches, it was more like there, it, there was just, it was, uh, it was more desirable to be a consultant. I feel like when, when I started than it is, you know, now, it's, it's just a tough job. It is a tough job. You deal with a lot of different people and they're not all going to like you and like your product and you just have to roll with it. Yeah. I, yeah. I go, I, I go back and forth, right? Like obviously both of us have bounced back and forth between internal orgs and consulting. Right. Um, you know, it does like, 
and with big organizations, you do get to see a lot of code, but you do get very siloed. So there's still kind of that flexibility in far, as far as like different projects. But even then, you're still very limited to the projects that come in, right? If I get mostly Java, so secure code review, guess what? I'm going to become more of an expert in Java secure coding, but I may not see as much Golang or, you know, other languages because those those projects are few and far between from a consulting perspective, right? It's almost like you've got to put a little bit of time into that and advertising into it to get those projects in the door. So, you know, or, you know, TypeScript, whatever, whatever other language or framework that you're, you're pulling into. But yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting prospect and you're always going to have horror stories. I mean, you're going to hit that from a, uh, an internal org perspective as well. They're just different types of horror stories. Most of the time it's not going to a random location and, and being stuck in the Midwest somewhere. Like I, I remember time being stuck in Omaha and everybody that I'm working with, of course, they have their families and everything else at night. So they'd all go home. And I'm like, sweet. Well, I'm stuck in Omaha. Well, what is there to do in Omaha? And like talking to people, they're like, oh, go to the go to the zoo. Right? That was the famous. And I was like, all right. Yeah. So after two nights of nothing to do, I'm like, all right, I go, I drive to the zoo. Guess what time the zoo closes? Yeah. Like five, five o'clock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I does. couldn't even do that. Right. Like, all right. All right. Back to Chili's. Right. You know, that's, that's about Dude, all that we Side do. tangent. I went to Omaha for like, uh, I think I was giving a Ruby security talk at rails or something at, at a, one of these companies that develops like rails apps for people. Anyways. Uh, and by the way, I, I did enjoy Omaha. Like it did nice people, pretty chill environment, but I accidentally drew, drove. It's so small. If you've never been to Omaha, then when I drove drove through it, I accidentally just like skipped the town, <laughs> like because the airport is very close to the downtown. But it, it's very easy if you just like don't make the right turn to just go straight through and end up like, oh, that was Omaha. Like <laughs> my bad. <laughs> so it's it's really a very tiny, compact area. So uh, yeah, it's just kind of funny. Um, but they have yeah. a they have a baseball field there or a baseball. Oh, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. like I do. I, I I dig Omaha, like downtown Omaha. Once once you get to know it, right? It's, it's yeah. There's 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 stuff to do. But you know, coming from, yeah, coming right. from some other place, it was yeah. hard, right? It was just like, all right, well, no one wants to go hang out, and you know that person that we were talking about. Well, actually, no, Eric Heitzman that we had on the podcast before from Security Compass, right? That's where I actually met him. That was we were that was Eric. On site. That was Eric I was talking about. Yeah. Who did the training for us in Dallas. Yeah. 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 And he, like, that's just it. Right. Like, I think that's where I first met him because we were both on site in Omaha for clients and had no one else to hang out with. So for two weeks, we were going to dinner and like going, checking everything out because no one else was there. Right. So, right. It's kind of funny how those how those relationships work. And I think that's the same thing, right? Like you and I, that that client going on site for two weeks and sitting in a hotel room. Guess what? We got to know each other and like the whole team very well because that was the only people we got to see for two weeks. You know. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So and Eric, we had on the podcast, by the way, and I still didn't figure out until after until we were in person that he was he had, he was our trainer in Dallas. But yeah, no. Um, sorry, people of Omaha, if you're listening, we do like your town. It is cool. Wait, good food. We Great did, steaks. We, we, yeah. <laughs> Terrible airport, but everything else is pretty good. So, airport's fine. Kind of funny. It's just like ten feet. I think it's ten feet wide. 
<laughs> yeah, it's very small. <laughs> that one at the Kansas City Airport too. That's and you know Northwest Arkansas. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, there's a few airports yeah. out there that yeah. Yes. Well, we had more stories, but I think we're gonna be like yeah. we're, we're eleven minutes over. Cool. I mean, it's always interesting to, to reminisce and to talk about those about what what you can actually do. I think I think it's all just a matter of communication and actually level setting with clients and with you know the situation that you're in. And, and like we always talk about it in the course too, not taking anything too personally. Yeah, um, and you can. As a consultant, when you're walking into an organization, you're walking in as a, as, a, as an outsider and you're going to get treated like an outsider. You just have to, you have to go in with that expectation. So at, at times they're paying you to take the blame. And so take it and just move on because guess what? In two weeks, you'll be on to something else and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and you can never predict all the various motivations of uh, people that have you there. there. There's always various motivations. And it's interesting, especially if you spend more than a week there, you start to figure out like who's, yeah, you really get to, and it's weird because you get this little snapshot into people's lives and then you move on, but you, you, you find out like so-and-so is trying to get security in to like show that I don't know, whatever, whatever weird motives they have, they eventually surface and it's usually like dicey inter like in it's weird. You go there to do a very technical thing. That's when I started, I was very much like, Oh, whatever. I don't care about your politics. I'm there to do. And then after you get, you know, you, you, you grow up a little bit and you realize like you have to think about these things. You, you <clears throat> yeah, you, you naturally evolve and realize start like soaking in all the little politics. And like I said, it's a snapshot because in a week, two, three weeks, whatever, you're gone. You're on to the next client. Yep. So. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, oh, it is what it is. So <laughs> you'll make it through, uh, and then you'll have funny stories to tell people too at some point, right? Um, I think that's the thing with consulting is it's a good growth point. It really is. Like if you want to get – if it's not easy. It may not even anymore be – like it may be harder and not even as high paying now, weirdly enough, as like internal teams – I think it's valuable, very valuable because you, yeah, you have to learn it. Like you're forced into these situations out way outside your comfort zone and it forces you to grow up real quickly and, and, and you get a lot of experience in a short amount of time. Yeah. A lot of experience. You learn some soft skills. Like we've talked about that previously. I can't remember if it was Jerry or Evan that we were talking about it, about the, like how important that soft skills is in your career. Um, it forces you to do that. And it forces you to practice it over and over because you're dealing with different clients and different salespeople and different organizations all of the time. Like, yeah. So it's definitely useful. Like if you, if you haven't been on that side, I would encourage it. It does, does force some career growth that you probably wouldn't get in other places. I mean, nobody's at, it's very rare that I find people that are, that stick in an organization for 20 years anymore. Um, but I'm sure there's still some that are out there. Yeah. Sweet. Well, all right. Well, we've been going for a good hour and 10. Um, Yeah. If you've got other stories, share them with us on Twitter or whatever else. We'll start a, you know, Twitter thread. It'd be interesting to hear what everybody else has heard or join our Slack channel. Um, There's a lot of people that are in there and would love to hear it. uh, What everyone else has experienced. So please do. Yeah. Cool. Anything else for this week, Ken? 
No, just appreciate everybody who's watching. Thank you for 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 you know interacting and, and keeping up with the podcast. And we're you know we're almost through this hump of we're just about through this hump of like traveling a lot for training. So um, expect a more frequent cadence. I have I have so many people who have agreed to come on this show. I need to start sending out some invites now that we're in one spot for um, at least a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is actually, I'll, I'll be doing one of these from Houston because uh, for, for other reason, but um, anyway, it's like, yeah, we're, we're pretty much in uh, we'll try and get the skatings back to what it was, which was weekly. Um, got some good guests who have agreed to come on. So I'll get those scheduled and uh, yeah, we just appreciate everybody supporting the podcast. Um, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, that's all I had. Cool. All right. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Uh, we appreciate the support and the comments and yeah, just being in the, in the community. So we'll talk yeah. to everybody next week. Um, I don't think we necessarily have, we'll, we'll have a guest. We'll have somebody on next week. I'm not sure who it is yet. Um, but yeah, if you've got anything that you would like us to talk about, please hit us up either Twitter, email, Slack. Um, but you'll like, I think, you know, Ken and I have some ideas on stuff that we want to go through always, uh, but it'd be interesting to have some other, um, other perspectives there. So hit us up and we'll see everybody online. All right. Thanks. Bye.